All right, we'll start in three, two, one. Hey, Larry, how you doing? Good, Manny. How are you, man? Not bad, not bad. How was uh, your Thanksgiving? Uh, Thanksgiving was different. Um, normally, we serve up a, for a family of, you know, 15 to 20 people, but having five, just the immediate family, was, was nice but different. Um, you know, miss, miss having all the other people at, at the table, but... Um, for their safety, it was best uh, to do it separately. Was it less stressful? Oh, less stressful. Yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I guess it was less stressful because the only people I had to uh, make sure were happy were the, were the four other people in my household rather than my in-laws, my brother-in-law, <laughs> and his girlfriend and all the good stuff. Yeah, it was it – was, for us, so my dad is one of seven, right? So mm-hmm. super big family. Uh, my mom is one of six, I think, but they're they're not here. They're back in DR. So um, typically we get together and it's a big family. So it was really different where it was just like my wife and I, um, my, uh, my mom, her sister, her grandma, my dad, and we just had like a small thing, you know, so it was pretty yeah. interesting. Although I did eat a lot, so. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to have, as soon as this thing's over, we're going to have to make up for all the time, you know, time separated from those that we love uh, next year, as soon as we, as soon as we get this beyond this phase of COVID. Yeah, man. uh, uh, I mean, hopefully it sounds like things are uh, moving along with the vaccine, so. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Um, So for those people that don't know uh, Larry, can you give us just like a quick, brief intro of what you're typically up to today? Um, so I'm a, uh, first off, I'm a, I'm a husband of 17 years now, uh, father of three girls, um, and I'll round up their ages because they're almost at these, at these stages in their lives, 19, 16, and 13. Um, I work full-time for Raytheon Technologies out of the Andover, uh, Massachusetts location, um, where I am a operations excellence um, manager. Um, I, I still serve in the military, so I serve in the Air Force Reserves, uh, going on 25 years this coming February. And I own my own small business, um, Black Car Livery Service, on the side as well. I didn't know about the own business. Yeah, I just started it in December, right before COVID, and um, we're we're still functioning um, at a at a much lower capacity, um, trying to keep the lights on on a daily basis. But uh, yeah, just started it up. Oh man, entrepreneurship! I like it. Yeah, <laughs> well, I'm taking my lead from you, man. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> dude, that's so awesome. If we don't get into that today, we're definitely gonna have to. Um, have another conversation on that because uh, starting a new business, it, it, I mean, it's scary, but man, so much things that can go on. I mean, uh, it's a lot. Uh, it's, uh, it's definitely a learning experience to say the least, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So for, for Larry, um, let's start at the beginning a little bit. Like what was, what was your childhood like? Like were you always, you know, organized, goal oriented, had your stuff together? Like who is Larry as a kid? Oh, man. 
No, I didn't have anything together uh, as a kid. Um, so, so first off, I'm I'm the son of a 15 year old mom, right? Mm-hmm. So I was born I was born in, in Dorchester, Massachusetts. My mom had just turned 15 when she had me. Um, my dad was 17, um, and so I had very young parents who were also growing up at the same time they were trying to raise me, and um, my life was chaotic because their lives were still trying to figure out what their establishments were going to be. Um, my dad was a Marine for the first few years of my life, um, and then he was injured, so he, he fell out due to, due to medical um, and then being young parents, their, their lives went in separate directions because they, they kind of grew apart, you know, being that teenage teenagers at that point. Um, mom, mom was finishing up high school while I was still in diapers. And, uh, then she went on and she was working three, four jobs where she was delivering newspapers at four o'clock in the morning, going to a uh, full-time job during the daytime. And at night she would be, um, uh, 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 excuse me, a waitress at, at a restaurant. And so, um, it was very, I had to, I had to grow up real quick and to take care of my, my younger brother. And then my mom would start going to school. And next thing you know, I'm helping her get her degrees and, and, and helping her through paralegal school, being that nine-year-old running around Boston public library and helping her grab these law books and, and whatnot. Um, and then she was always, she was always trying to give us the, that better life and, and growing into, uh, so she always taught me the value of, um, time and the, the value of, uh, work ethic. And, uh, so I, that's one big thing I learned from her, but was I organized? Absolutely not. Um, was I structured? No goal oriented, uh, not so much, but I had, a, you know, I always had two or three jobs and, you know, when I got into my teenage years. And then life just kind of got better and I, as I matured more and as I developed my own family and my own structure, um, the military definitely helped me out with, uh, with kind of organizing and goal, goal-centric um, and, and thinking about, you know, my, my troops and my family really kind of helped me kind of drive my, my ambitions towards helping out, you know, them as well as coincidentally helping myself out at the same time. So um, you mentioned that your, your parents um, were not together. What, was that fairly young in your life or was it kind of later on where um, uh, they went their separate yeah, ways? Yeah, they divorced it when I was four. Okay, so, so fairly was, young. Yeah, yeah. And um, dad, was, dad was always part of my life uh, every other weekend and, um, you know, kind of grew into, you know, it's grown into more than that over the, over the years. And we have a great lip relationship. Uh, we still talk on a weekly basis. You know, I have a, you know, impromptu phone call every Sunday night in the back of my head. Hey, I got to call my dad as I'm going from, you know, from here to there. And I just get on the phone with him and we have our, we just play catch up and, um, he lives in New York city. And, um, so we take my kids down there to go see him now every now and again. Um, he's a, he's a much better grandfather than he was a father. <laughs> and that's cool because, um, he's at a point in his life where he can have that time and that focus for his grandchildren. And so, um, they have more conversations with him on a weekly basis than I do, which is great. Um, 
and then mom is um, mom is mom is good. Mom mom remarried uh, about ooh, 16, 17 years later, and um, she ended up having four more children. And so there's four, five, excuse me, five more children. So there's seven of us total now. Wow. Um, and that's been that's been a lot more challenging because she started raising children, more children when I got married and started having my own family. So she and I are both raising families at the same time. Mm. And so um, she's still playing mom and hasn't really had the chance to put the grandmother hat on. But she's at that stage now that my younger brothers and sisters are um, starting to move out of the house or getting into their professional careers. But um, don't falter for any of that. This is uh, That's the challenges of having a mom that's just 15 years older than you. So. That's an interesting dynamic. Um, I can almost see you like raising your kids and also like going over or her kids coming over. <laughs> so like your dad to like multiple kids in a way or like an uncle, you know, it's, it's quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's the joke is, you know, I'm, I'm mentoring them or, or take, trying to take care of them. I helped one of my younger brothers get a job at Raytheon after he graduated from UMass Lowell. And um, he's thriving in his career. And so we, he and I talk every, every few days now. Um, I try not to be involved with his day-to-day as, uh, aspects because we're in the same department. And I really want to guide him and trust him to fly on his own, kind of like a, like, a, like, a, like a baby bird, push him off the, push him off the branches and, and hope that they're going to flap their wings um, and fly on their own. And so that, I felt like if I called him every single day and guided him through his day-to-day job, just because it's the IT industry, something I've been doing for 25 years, um, he wouldn't really know what it's like on his own. So I, I just talk to him occasionally and guide him through through whatever he's dealing with. But couldn't be more proud of what he's doing and and, and uh, everything he's 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 doing on his own at this point. Man, so, so. mentor, father to three. Yeah. You got your career going, military, as well as your own business. So mm-hmm. a question that kind of came up as you were talking about um, your life was that, you know, people that come from a home where the parents aren't necessarily together don't always end up being as successful as you have been and been able to achieve the things that you have. What do you think, what's different about, you know, your parents and you as a person that allowed you to you know, in, in a way have this, this separation going on in your life, but still be able to um, achieve a lot of the things that, that you have achieved. Um, what played a role in that? I, I'll give all the credit for my mom. <laughs> my mom was really tough. Uh, you know, living, living in Dorchester back in the 1970s, 70s and 80s was a tough, tough time frame. Um, she lost both of her grand, both my grandparents to cancer, uh, her mom before I was born. And then her dad just about three years after I was born. So she had to grow up quick and, uh, she had older sisters that didn't think that she was going to be able to do it. And so she had to prove them wrong. And so she was, I was, I was the test bed. I was the, um, I had to prove that my mom knew what she was doing. And even though she made a ton of mistakes, um, she always made sure that um, there was food on the table. She always made sure that there was, there was clothes on my back. And even though she might have been tired, um, she was well engaged with my education. 
and I remember, man, I, just sitting at the coffee table in the middle of the night when my mom would get home from work after working like 15, 16 hour days. And she would sit there and she'd start quizzing me on my spelling test just so that I would be um, ready for that test the next day. So she, she kind of harped on me. She, she wanted to make sure that, you know, I was the oldest grandchild. I was the oldest nephew. I was the, the firstborn out of the entire family uh, of her generation and she had something to prove and she was going to prove it. And so harder on me than anybody else in, in, her, in the entire family. But I give her the credit because uh, she, she really prepared me. She prepared me for the rest of life. And uh, I, I, I joke because when I went into the military and you have these military training instructors, like, you know, an inch from your face and yelling and screaming in your face to break you down and build you back up. <laughs> In the inside, I laughed because there's nobody tougher than my mom, and, uh, and so she had prepared me to 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 listen, um, to always never settle for um, never settle for uh, status quo or, or normalcy. Always to exceed and excel um, and work hard. So, so I give all my credit to my mom. That's awesome. Um... Mm -hmm. It's cool to see that it's it almost like, I don't want to say the pressure, but you know, you kind of mentioned that your mom had something to prove. So I, I'm sure that from your end, you also wanted to um, make her proud. And not only that, but show people like my mom is doing a good job. And I'm sure that that also pushed you to, to excel as well. Uh, when I was younger, I didn't realize that though, Manny. And mm. um, it's not until I became a dad. It's uh, not until I be, it's not until I became um I took a step backwards and I looked at the bigger picture and I said, here's a woman who um, was 25 years old, raising a 10 year old. Right. Um, and so if you re if we think about our twenties and how we're out I mean, we're trying to make friends and we're trying to start our careers and we're trying to, trying to find out who we are at, as, as an adult, my mom was already adult for 10 years and raising somebody. So, I didn't see that. I just saw somebody who was very hard on me. Um, and I didn't understand the why until I probably <laughs> into my thirties, to be honest. And, um, to the point where she actually still, she still feels guilty. And I, I, I talked to her every few months about, about it, this specific topic, just saying, listen, I don't hold anything against you. Uh, I love you. You did the best job you could as a 15-year-old mom, as a 30-year-old uh, mother of, of a teenager, um, as a now a 60-year-old mom of seven. Um, so I, I don't fault her for anything. And, uh, you know, I, for, I basically, in a, in a way, I've, I have forgiven her for all the hardness that she put me through um, because I am a strong adult. I am taking care of my family. I am doing the best job that I can because she helped make, shaped and mold me to that person. I mean, it sounds like that, um, the toughness that she had on you also helped you, uh, face some of the struggles that people face when they go into the military. Yeah. Yeah. There's things that, uh, you know, maybe, maybe the younger generation today will just kind of like, kind of, you know, I, I look at challenges like that and just, all right, well, let's figure out a way forward. Let's try to figure out how to make things better. Uh, all right, well, that's a challenge your way. You know, how can we work through that? And whether it's, uh, you know, putting in extra effort at work or 
you know, picking up a, another job or um, taking another training course in order to make yourself better. It's, um, I, I, I just look at adversity as, you know, the next challenge to make me better. Yeah, I've had a, a few interviews and uh, one thing that uh, kind of seems to come up, especially now, or one of the concerns from the people that I've interviewed now is that it seems like more and more people today will look at an obstacle right in front of them and will, will never think to go around. It's almost mm -hmm. like you're faced with one challenge and like you're done. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's where we need, um, that's where we need good guide, you know, mentors and, 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 um, and guidance from, um, other people, right. Whether they're more, whether they're junior to you in age or experience or whether they're more senior to you in, in age and experience, um, because everybody else can look at a problem and see a way around it or maybe a way through it or, um, you know, or you have to just succumb to it at that point, right? But you, one person looking at one problem, that's just one mind. If you can, if you can share, if you can, if you can admit, hey, I don't have all the answers and I need my friends, I need my family, I need um, guidance or mentoring uh, to help me look at this one problem and help me find a way around it. That's, that's, that's real strength right there, you know? Yeah, I think sometimes the ego can definitely get in the way of you asking for help or looking stupid. Like, you know, we don't want to admit that, that we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> um, yep. So when do you get into, um, into the military? When does this, um, how would you say it? When do you become interested in, in the military? Is that like a high school thing? Is it in college? Uh, you know, I was a freshman at Northeastern University in Boston, and I was... Um, I stretched myself out too thin between working, going to school, adulthood and playing with my friends. And I didn't do as well as I had with the, with the freedom that I had as, as a freshman in college. And then, um, my stepfather's, my stepfather's dad had just retired from the air force, um, national guard. And, and, I looked into it and I said, you know, this might be interesting because my, my, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I've got to figure something else out. And I looked at the National Guard as a free college. Uh, maybe it would kind of shape me and mold me and give me some direction. Um, and I, I, I looked at National Guard because um, I didn't look at active duty because I was afraid of leaving and going somewhere else for six years or four to six years. And so I said, well, you know, if I like the National Guard, the national, if I like the military and the National Guard works out, maybe I'll look into going active duty. And so I was about 20 years old when I enlisted and uh, went to basic training just a few months later. And I went up to tech school and tech school at that point was in um, Biloxi, Mississippi. And I made a lot of great friends. I, I learned a lot of great independence. Um, and I loved it. I loved it a lot. And I came back and I said, I want to join the Air Force full time. And because I was an international guard on a state contract, I had to wait. And um, so when I came back, I started looking into IT careers and I found a job at a software company out of Burlington. And things started taking off. Then all of a sudden the Air Force called me up and said, hey, we want to take you full time if you want to come. And I said, 
I've got a great IT career. Um, I, I'm making some re really good money. I've got. A, I love the people I work with and the work I'm doing. I'm going to hold back and just and just you know keep doing this right now. So um, I ended up uh, working my full time job and doing my military on the side, and uh, it's it's been it's been rewarding for 25 years right now. What was the the training like when you first started? Um, so we go through six weeks of basic training in, um, San Antonio, Texas. Um, and that is turning over control of your life to people who are going to shape and mold you into the military style. Um, you know, all these factors of life, all these different people from all around the country have all these different ways. And what, what the military tries to do during that six to eight weeks of, of training is to teach you the military way. And so you got to be open to that. Um, but that was in San Antonio. That's, you know, waking up at four or five o'clock in the morning and, and getting through that routine. Um, building some really great relationships um, that you have for the rest of your life. And then when you, when you graduate from that, you go on to what we call technical school. And technical school, based on your job, you'll go into somewhere else in the, in the country and you'll go through whatever that training looks like, whether it's, um, I think mine was about three months uh, in Mississippi. And Mississippi, I'll tell you, in May through August is hot, 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 <laughs> <laughs> and muggy and um, fantastic. Uh, went through some hurricanes, so it was pretty cool. But um, we'd march to school. Um, I was in computers uh, for the Air Force at that time. And so you get to learn all these different, uh, the, the basis of, of that, of that, of that schooling, um, so that when they send you off back to your base or back to your unit, you have the, 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 the core of what you need to know in order to start learning more. Um, but there I became, um, I, I became one of their leaders, uh, in, in Mississippi. Um, so I was, I was in control of, um, all the newcomers. So anybody who came, just came out of basic training, I had to get them all set up with their rooms, find them a partner to hang out with so they didn't feel like they were, they were alone. Um, understood that just because basic training had ended, we don't stop our, our, military, our military mindsets. And um, yeah, did that for a couple months before, uh, before having to come home. So you mentioned um, that when, in your freshman year, you had a, you had a tough time. Uh, with you know everything that you had going on, so you um, you chose to go into um, the military. Do, do you feel like that training helped you find what you were looking for? And if it did, what what was it? What did you take away that you're like, man, like this this was good for me? Um, I learned the value uh, of education. Um, I learned that. Um, you're not hurt, you know, college is out there to make money. And, and I just told my daughter this too. They don't care whether you show up or you don't show up. They just care that you pay. And so the person who has to care about what you get out of college is you. And um, somebody, somebody's paying for that college, whether it's your parents, whether it's you through loans, um, and so it's your money going into it. So you might as well take advantage of every single nickel, penny, dollar, 
you know, thousands of dollars that you put into it. Um, and then at the same time, I started getting the military to pay for it. And I had to look at it as like, well, that's your money too, because you're serving in order to make money in order to pay for college. So you might as well take advantage and make sure that you get good grades. And you better make sure. And then all of a sudden I became proud. I became proud of my 3.5. I became proud of my, of my A's, my B's. I became proud of who I was um, getting those, getting letters from the, the college saying you made the Dean's list. Um, where before, you know, when I was a freshman, it was just like, you know, straight out of high school, straight into Northeastern. And it was just like, Hey, freedom, freedom, freedom. And it was just like, oof, you know, bad grades. <laughs> um, that's not who I am and that's not who I want to be. So we've, we've got to fix that. You know, it's kind of um, interesting, uh, the topic about college, because, uh, and, and I remember this back then, even when I was applying, like those numbers, like in my mind, weren't real. You know, like when I was applying and I'm taking out all these loans and looking at these numbers, like it never registered. Like one day... I'm going to have to pay this back and like looking at it tangibly, you know, um, what, um, what do you do to try to, to make that apparent to like your kids as they're getting ready to like apply and go to school? Like what has been your strategy on that? And to say like, Hey, like one day this is going to fall on somebody to pay this back. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, it's funny, Manny, that it's perfect timing because my oldest daughter just graduated high school last year. So she's a freshman. She's a freshman at um, UNH, and she could have gone to UNH. Dar um, uh, shoot, I forget where the where the main campus is out of, but she chose to go to UNH out of Manchester, New Hampshire, which is half the price of the other of the other college. But as she was picking colleges, she was looking at this one art college out of Maine. And the, the sticker price for it was $50,000 a year. And I said, do you understand that that's going to be $200,000, which is pretty much half the amount of our house. <laughs> and, and so you have to equate like the kids nowadays, they don't, they don't really understand what the value of money is. And I said, if you sat there and looked at $200,000 and compared it to our house, that's half a house. Um, and I said, and at the end of the day, you're going to school for art school, so you're going to be starving artists before you even graduate. Um, but we looked at other colleges, and she found a program um, at Manchester and Southern New Hampshire University. And Southern New Hampshire, New Hampshire University was, was local, um, and they have a main campus up in Manchester, which you can pay – $20,000 a year for, but they had a satellite campus just four exits down the street in Salem, New Hampshire, mm -hmm. which cost $9,000 a year. And I was like, but you still get all the same amenities as going to the main campus, just four exits up the street. It's a 20 minute drive. And I said, why wouldn't you just go to the satellite campus right there in Salem? And she was like, I don't know. It makes more sense. I mean, she was, and so we start to look at those types of things. And I told her, I said, you know, being a manager, being a hiring manager at Raytheon, um, I don't really care about what college you went to. When I look at resumes, I look at, do you have a degree? Fantastic. And so 
I don't look at it behind. I don't sit there and say, um, oh, that person went to Harvard. We have to hire that person because at the end of the day, it's a degree. And um, I'll be honest, when you're, when you go to a more expensive school, it doesn't turn me on, but it makes you more hungry to find that next job that's going to pay you more so that you can have a better life. And so um, if I could say anything to anybody who's listening in the audience, understand that you're going to end up having to pay for this and you're going to try to hold your, you know, company hostage about what you're, what you want for money so that you can have a better life. Well, start off with going to a school that makes sense for you and having a bill that makes sense for you at the end that you can have a nice apartment, a nice condo, a nice house, a nice car, take care of your family and not have to have that 30 year, 40 year, um, college bill hanging over your head so just be smart about it yeah and i think that also you'll be able to make uh decisions that will serve you long term and i guess what i mean by that is that sometimes especially early on in your career you may take or you may take a lower paying job for the experience that you're going to learn that will in a couple of years pay off you know tenfold but if right. You know, if you have, like you said, those bills coming out of school, you may turn down a great opportunity uh, learning wise because you're just you just have to seek the money because of of the bills that you have coming in. Right. And so what I would also recommend is, hey, listen, you know, bachelor's degree is kind of the, the, the basics nowadays. Then go find a job. And when you're looking for a job, if you take if, if one company offers to pay for your master's degree and the other one doesn't but the other one that doesn't pay you more money, think about staying with that company that pays you less, but offers that master's degree compensation because that's the next thing, right? That's going to be the next standard is getting that master's degree in order to become that next manager or that next director or that next, whatever you want to be. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I would recommend. Yeah. So um, when it comes to, to school, you did mention that. Uh, so you did the, uh, um, the military for a bit and then you you did the civilian and then somehow then it morphed into you're doing both how how does that kind of work because i'm not as familiar with the military and you know maybe a lot of people that are going to be listening to this are not how does that like when do you get a choice like how does that even come into play how do you make those decisions when you go back or when you stay is that up to you is it up to who you report to in the military how, how does all that work yeah, so for the for the reserves, the National Guard, there's a schedule that's that's posted uh, a year in advance. So this past May, I've I received my schedule for 2021, um, and so I just mark it, you know, for the calendars. And it's all weekends, right? So it's it's all pre weekends that are that are kind of scheduled out, and it's it's very uniform, right? So whether it's the first weekend of the month or the second week in a month. Um, I, we can project based on what's happening in the calendar. Um, so for example, I'll work this, I have reserves next Saturday and, um, even with COVID, we're still, we're still going. Um, but I have my civilian job Monday through Friday and then Friday afternoon, Friday evening, I'll, I'll pack up my car and I'll drive out there and, um, I'll serve, um, Saturday morning. Uh, it's, six o'clock in the morning till five o'clock at night. Um, because I'm outside, I, I, they put me up in a hotel or, or some barracks 
and um, Sunday morning, same thing, six to four maybe. And four o'clock, I'm back on the road, and I'm I'm driving home, and I'm going to see my family. Uh, get to sleep, and I go back to work on Monday morning. So it's um it's not overwhelming, and they're very. Let's say that um, let's say I had something a family obligation or I had a work obligation. I just let my supervisor know, and and we work around it as best we can. And if at the end of the day they say, hey, listen, we can't work around this. I got to let my employer know that I'm serving in the military that weekend and, and they can't have me. So, um, and by law, they have to let you, let you serve that weekend because it's been published for a long period of time. And it's basically an order from the president of the United States that says, Hey, you have to come this weekend. Mm. Um, and so, but most companies, most, most, most companies are, um, flexible with that type of stuff. Um, especially if you give them much an, enough advance notice as possible. Um, and so there's other times, though, um, that I'll get a phone call um, and saying, hey, in, in a month, I need you to, to go to Iraq for six months. And so those are a lot more challenging. Those are a lot more difficult um, to plan around. And so um, luckily, I, I never had, oh, I haven't had one of those last minute phone calls since 2004. But now they're a lot more um, planned. They're a lot more predicted in, in some, in some cases, most cases. Have you found that the companies that you've worked for, uh, have been accommodating with the schedules and things like that or? Yeah. 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 And it's, um, everything for what I've done and, and, uh, who I've worked for, um, if they said, Hey, we need you to do this. You know, I, if I look at my calendar and say, I'm sorry, I can't, but you know, I can do this or I can do that to, to help you out or can we schedule it for the following weekend? Um, things have been kind of very flexible with, with my schedules, my company schedules. Yeah. You know, um, when I think of the military, man, um, I've never considered going into the military. I have um, a brother of mine who joined the reserves. So he went, I think El Paso, Texas, and he did his training and he went into he went in to be a radiologic tech, and I'll tell you, um, for him the the introduction period, the six weeks, um, see, he seemed to be able to handle it fine. Um, it was when when it got to the academic part of it, he was uh, he you know he started getting a little bit more homesick. I mean that required a because it was a condensed like two year program in like six months or something like that. And I mean, he would call, you know, he's asking for prayers. And I mean, and, and my, the, the interesting thing about my brother is that he's never been a, uh, a guy that likes school. He's, he's one of those people that he can't just um, do something for the sake of doing it. It's like, there has to be like a purpose uh, behind it. So school was, ne he never did great in school, but uh, I have never seen my brother bust his butt more than when, when he was going through that course. Cause he was at all hours at the night. I'm I'm talking to him at like 12 o'clock in the morning. He's like studying and stuff. It was pretty crazy, but, um, and, and I haven't had a conversation uh, with him about it, but some, something about being in that environment just seemed to push him to like try harder than I've ever seen him try before. Yeah, so that, that's why that's why they they put me in charge of the new troops coming in, right? So, um, you go from your family on Monday to your military family on Tuesday, 
to start basic training and you're thrown in a room with 40 other um, troops, uh, military troops. And so that's your new family. You're never alone and they've got a structure. And, and I, I, I went down to basic training uh, again last year uh, just to revisit it and, and get some perspective of what they do today. And one of the military training instructors said to me, he goes, Larry, he goes, we, we take advantage of every five minutes we possibly can because we are, we are trying to ensure that we have good products going out the door. And so you never have five minutes of downtime um, unless it's, you know, they sit there and say, you know what, you all, you all deserve a break. You all, all get kind of the next 30 minutes to relax, go call your mom, go call your dad or whoever. Um, and then back in line, let's go. Um, and so there's really no slowness during that first six months. But when you go to tech school, when you go to training, there's a little bit more freedom, right? Because it's a, it's a class, it's a eight, eight to 10 hours, you know, day of school. But then you have, um, you know, eight to 10 hours. So you get 16, 14 to 16 hours of downtime plus sleeping and, and exercise and whatnot that you really have to be in your own mind. So you, one, you, you, you have phones that you're available anytime you want. You start to get a little bit more homesick. People are telling you what's going on back at home. And you're like, well, dang, man, I, I wanted to be at home for Thanksgiving. I wanted to be home for Christmas. And that's when you start getting homesick. So that's why having that buddy, having that ambassador that, that we, we call them wingmen to make sure you can get through those days um, so that you're not lonely. So you're not, you know, you always have that, that buddy you can always hang out with um, prearranged. That was something that was highly important. Um, but the structure of the training was you could be put on disciplinary action for not doing your, you know, not executing the, the classes right, not, not getting that good test. Um, and so what, it's not like school where they were like, all right, you got to see, all right, you got to D like that's on you. This is military. They're throwing tens of thousands of dollars of training at you and they want you to do well and they want you to get it. And so they, they hold you to those standards. Like, Hey man, you got to see, that's not good. We got to, you know, you got to raise that up. You got to bring that up um, because they don't want to see you fail out because if they see you fail out, well, they just take, they just pay for you to go to through basic training. They just, you know, that's tens of thousands of dollars right there. Now they got to sit there and say, okay, so, all right, if, if um, radio, radio technology is not your, not your thing, what else are we going to throw you into? And that's more money because now they got to ship you somewhere else yeah. to have you train on that. And so at, at some point, the military says, well, you're not, you're not cutting it. You're not giving us your all. You know, their test, their ASVAB test, it says, um, you know, that you're good in these areas. If they see you not applying yourself, they're going to hold you accountable because they're paying their, that's their dollars into you. And, uh, and it's, if you're just kind of slacking, um, they're going to call you out on it because at the end of the day, that's, that's their money, you know? I almost wish that uh, our school system, specifically our, our public school system, would be ran a little bit more like that, where, you know, there's consequences for you not performing, you know, like tangible consequences. I feel like maybe a lot more kids would get a, a lot more out of their um, experience if, if that was in play. Trust me, it's, um, yeah, I wish, I wish too, man, especially now with COVID, it's, um, <laughs> I want to call the teachers up and say, you guys got to be doing a better job. <laughs> I'm like, these kids are, you know, my, my daughter with COVID now working, working remotely from home, 
you know, she's like, Hey daddy, Hey daddy, I'm done. I'm like, it's 11 o'clock. She's like, yeah, I did my three hours of work and blah, blah, blah. And I passed in all my paperwork. I'm like, oh, where's the other three hours of work that you need to do? Like, cause you got school until two o'clock. And she's like, no dad, I'm done. I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> really just shows how much of the day is wasted. If, uh, if they yeah. can finish all their work in three hours. Yeah, that's, that's so obviously I don't, you know, my kid is like one years old, so he's not in school or anything like that, but I'm surprised to hear you say that, that, um, they're, they're schooling. I don't know if, I mean, I guess it's more independent. Sounds like the work that they give them where maybe the teacher will teach a certain thing and then they'll have a certain amount of work to get done. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty much what it is. It's for, for the most part. I mean, there's still structure. There's still a lot of gaps. Um, but at the beginning of the COVID, my, my youngest would wake up, man, I, I wish I had her drive. And in, in 15 years, you can call her up and interview her too, because she has that structure. Everything I, I told you I didn't have as a kid, she has it. And so COVID, she would wake up at seven o'clock in the morning. She, she would eat her breakfast. She would clean up. She would um, take the dog out at eight o'clock in the morning. And she'd go for a mile run and she would come back and she would log it as her PE. And, um, and she gets straight into school. And then by 11, 12 o'clock, she was done. She had already completed all of her assignments. She had, she had recorded all that she needed to record, submitted all of her paperwork, and she was very structured. Um, room is always clean. Her bed is always made. I mean, I, I did something right on my last child, Manny. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know what I did, but, you know. <laughs> Kids are so, they're all so different, man. It's, it's crazy. Um, but I know some of my friends, they, uh, some have struggled with, um, this new structure because this thing just hit everybody like out of nowhere. So the adjustment period, I mean, I'm on conference calls and, uh, you know, you hear kids in the background and you don't, you don't blame the parents. Like it's not anybody's fault at this point. I mean, the president says it's China, which, you know, I'm, I'm inclined to agree. <laughs> with the with the evidence that's coming out um but man it's it's been a tough time speaking of what um how have you um handled this time is there anything that uh, you um that you've learned that has worked for you and your family that you know maybe we we should consider looking at or applying as well um you know I, I, you know, you've known me for a long time. I've, I've traveled, you know, you, you remember the times I used to be traveling a ton and, and, and in different states and different countries for our, for our previous employer. Um, I really being at home now, you know, on a permanent basis, it's, um, I embrace every minute. And so whether, you know, I have five minutes in between a conference call, I'll run and go start some laundry my laundry has never been done as fast as it possibly has been in, you know, like, Oh, is that dirty? Great. Let's wash it. And, and so um, to the point where I think my kids are wearing the same thing every single day because it's been cleaned, but um, I can, I can, it gives me the opportunity to kind of poke my head in to my, to my kids and have a closer relationship and say, Hey, you know, what are you doing? Is there anything I can help out with? Um, I go upstairs and my wife will be sitting at her desk and she'll be working and I can go up to her and I can give her a hug and I can give her, you know, a kiss on the cheek and say, Hey, you know, how's your day? Um, and instead of it all building up like it used to for the eight or nine hours I used to be at work, 
and then have, you know, trying to sit down and let me tell you about my day and then I'll be in negative, right? It, we, we can kind of handle those things throughout the day and say, you know, I just had a horrible meeting with, with one of our customers, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, why don't you go take a walk? Why don't you, why don't you go step away? And why don't you, we can have those um, active conversations throughout the day. So it's not a whole buildup of um, frustration, you know, of things that maybe went wrong during the daytime. We can actually kind of like uh, have those, those active conversations throughout the day rather than just waiting for that one big thing at the end of the day when you're, maybe you're frustrated as well and you're trying to sit at the table and enjoying your meal with your family and it's, it's negative, right? So, so one thing that we do is we talk about it throughout the day so that when we sit at the table, it's relaxing. We can have our downtime. We can have our, we already got it off our chest. We're already aware of what's going on in each other's lives. And um, we can talk about what the family needs or, or just talk about, Hey, let's play a board game or let's, let's set up the Christmas tree or something, right? We can talk about something else besides work because we're, we're next to each other all day long. Yeah, it sounds like um, you guys have enjoyed this, this time being able to work from home and be a little bit more independent from all these other places that we have to be outside of the home. I'll tell you, man, I mean, uh, you know, my wife and I have been fortunate. Um, not everyone can work from home, but, you know, we've been able to. And I love the, I love the morning because uh, I just have an extra 30, 40 minutes that I can be at home, you know, play with my kid a little bit before he goes off to daycare and things like that. Um, I can't even imagine going back to having, <laughs> having to be in the office full time. I mean, I don't know. Um, I feel like a lot of companies are, are realizing that um, you mm -hmm. don't necessarily have to be at a desk to do your job. Um, so hopefully there'll, there'll be some changes there where more families can, you know, be together a little bit more often. And I mean, it sounds like, you know, that's worked out for, for you guys. And I, for my, first, for my wife and I as well. Although yeah. like, you do hear stuff on the news that throws you off where like, um, I don't know, like people that are married can't stand each other anymore because they've been around for, for so long or like parents that their kids are driving them nuts and they just want them out of the house. So I don't know, it feels like it, it's hit uh, people in, in different ways, which is definitely interesting. Yeah, I think that, that, that turns into the strength of the relationship or the understanding and then uh, what you're willing to do to overcome it. it uh, my kids use my office as the gateway to the attic, right? And that's where their playroom is. That's where my wife works. That where, that's where one of my daughter's um, uh, bedroom is. And that can be frustrating. But at the end of the day, um, there's five of us at home. You know, three of them are in school. Two of us are working a full-time job. Um, it's a, we have a, we have a large house, but it never feels large enough when everybody's home and kind of trying to do their thing. Right. And so, uh, having those, you're right, you know, mom and dad are, are going to take a drive to just kind of air out because we've been around each other all five days, you know, all five people at the same time, we got to have those moments to be able to go and do that, that type of stuff. And they understand that, Hey, mom and dad are going for a date night you know, to the grocery store or to, <laughs> to CVS. And that's, that's what date night consists of nowadays. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's, you know, I pray for those people who, who are, are challenged in those relationships, um, you know, and, and having a better understanding of where people are coming from, I think will help out people's relationships in the long run. Oh yeah, yeah for sure. 
I mean, and it sounds like um, you've you've learned to be a little bit more more sensitive to that when it comes to like the training that you've done, especially with the incoming kids and, you know, trying to make sure that they're somewhat comfortable, even though they're in a brand new environment. Um, I remember that um, we couldn't talk to my brother. I think that he wrote like a letter and I wrote him one back. And I think that that was the extent of the conversation that we had while he was, you know, doing mm-hmm. his, his training and stuff. Um, and I think out of the three of us, we're three, uh, two brothers and a sister. He's the one that's a little bit more attached to, to the parents. He, he was a little bit uh, less uh, independent. Um, but he did fine. I mean, he made a few friends that he was able to um, interact with that I think like helped him be able to, you know, get through, you know, those, those times. Um, and I want to uh, switch over a little bit and, and talk about leadership because I think like that's a major part of um, the military and just based off of the feedback that I've received, you know, from my brother. And again, I don't know a ton about the military. Um, it's interesting though today, like, I think that the guy that, um, that's running Texas, right. He is from the military, right? The, um, uh, I forget his name. Uh, oh. what's his name? Uh, is that the Senator with the eye patch? Yeah, there you go. No, yeah, the senator. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, he was injured in Iraq, I want to say, or Afghanistan. I forget his name. But you, you're, I think, like, we're seeing a lot more military kind of trained people taking uh, offices. And to be honest, I'm, I'm so glad because I feel like, man, we just need, like, strong leadership. I mean, um I just meet so many like kids that are in high school age, college age, just through like my church and stuff. I deal with like the youth and it's like, like there's a drive that's, that's missing. And I don't know where it's coming from. Like, you know, I can talk to a kid and I'm asking him, you know, what, you know, what, what are you thinking when it comes to school or job? And he's like, Oh, you know, maybe I'll, I'll try to, maybe I'll, I'll pick up a job in the summer or maybe I'll try to do this. And it's just like, like there's no urgency, no commitment to, you know, to all these things. And I'm like, what's going on? And I don't know what, why do you think that is? Why is it that I feel like we're turning up a generation where like, there's no pride in, in, in the work. There's no like work ethic. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is something I've struggled with for a while. And um, I, I learn daily about the younger generation, especially raising three kids. Um, you know, maybe they, you know, in, in some cases, uh, education becomes the priority of the family. And so it's don't, you know, when you're, when you're 16 years old, you don't have to go get a job, Johnny, but you know, why don't you, why don't you folk? I've told my kids, like, I'm probably, I'm probably guilty of it as well. Luckily they don't listen to me. Um, like, Hey, education is your job. That's what you need to do. Once you have good grades, once you have that established cadence of, of, um, of understanding what the teachers are expecting of you and what your schedule looks like, then, you know, we'll talk about you getting a job where when I grew up, it was go get a job. You know, you need structure. You need, you need to help out with this. Um, and so, you know, nowadays it's more about, Hey, you need to get good grades because, when you apply for college, you need to have um, good GPAs. You need to have a good resume of, of structure, of, of um, uh, 
extra activities within the school, you got to have X, Y, and Z in order to be considered for these good colleges. And so uh, we never, you know, I, as a as a parent of two teenage daughters, I didn't, I never pushed work on them. Um, and then my my oldest, I think she was 15, and she was like, I really want to get a job. And I looked at her grades, and I said, you know what, I think you can handle it, you know, but we're going to monitor. And so we ended up, um, she ended up becoming a hostess at a local restaurant. And now she's a, um, now she's 19 years old. She's going to be a waitress at Olive Garden. And she, she understands her learning requirements and she's got great grades right now in college um, where if she gets anything below her than an A, she's hard on herself. And so she knows what her, what her cadence is, what her, you know, I need this many hours with my classes. I need this many hours for work, and I need this many hours for myself so that I don't go crazy. And so, um, but she's she's developed that on her own. Like, as parents, I think we have to um, make sure that they do what they're supposed to be doing, right? And when they're when they're teenagers, it's the grades because that's what they're in school. And then once they have proven that they can you know, that they can establish, you know, uh, a good study habits um, and meet the expectations of their teachers and, and, of, and, and what the parents are expecting, then we should be able to kind of release them out to work and then teach them the value of um, hard work and, uh, and, and reward them for that type of stuff as well. Yeah. Do you um, require your kids to bring straight A's? No. I require my children to put in the effort to get good grades. And then when they, when we talk about the grades, I'll ask them, did you put the effort in that you feel like you earned this grade? And so there's a running joke. It's like, Oh dad, I got a 95 on this test. And I'm like, why didn't you get a hundred? And you know, it's, it's, it's like anything in life, Manny. If, um, if you shoot for an 80, like, hey, 80's passing or 70's passing. Well, if you shoot for a 70 and you get a 60, are you passing anymore? Like, if you shoot for a 100 and you got an 80, then imagine if you shot for an 80 and got a 60. Right. So I, 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 I encourage, I don't push, I encourage my kids to do the best that they can um, because if you don't do the best you can, you're going to, you're going to just pass or you're going to fail. Um, so like in the military, there's a fitness test. And if you shoot for, and a 75 is passing, right? A 74.9 is failure. So if you shoot for a 75 and you come up short because it's extra cold that day on the run, or you just couldn't get enough sleep the night before and you couldn't get that extra push up out, you failed. And, and, but if you had, if you had prepared for the test to get a hundred or a 90 and you got an 85, then you're, you had that buffer of, of space mm -hmm. before you actually quote unquote failed. So, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, you know, getting a 4.0, getting a, getting all A's, not that important to me. It's just, you know, show me that you're trying, show me that you're trying to understand it. Show me that you're doing your research to, understand that was that math equation or um, you're asking questions of your family uh, or friends to understand the, the, 
details of, of what, you're, what you have to learn in order to pass that test in order to get through that next phase of your life. Yeah, man. Well said. I mean, I, um, I remember clearly there was this one girl in school. Her parents were like extremely tough on her when it came to, to grades, where I think she might have gotten like a B or a B plus. And this girl was bawling, just crying because she knew when she got home, she was going to hear it from her parents that that wasn't mm-hmm. good enough. And, and I love that that you mentioned that you, you strive to push your kids or, you know, you, you want them to try their best. And I think that's so important, especially with school, because I'll tell you, I have my gripes with school because I feel like we try to take one approach that doesn't fit everybody. And there's definitely people that learn very differently. I mean, I'll give you an example. My brother and I, my brother, didn't succeed in school. He got okay grades, C's, but when he got to the military and he was put in an environment and things that he was interested in, he excelled, you know? So I think that that's such a key thing to, as a takeaway is that, you know, you, you know, we should definitely focus, especially with kids, you know, to, to work on the character, right? Not necessarily like the action, but like the character, like what are we building from, from our children? Like, are we, are we pushing them or are we teaching them to, to aim for better, to expect better from themselves. Cause that's where you're going to see, you know, the improvements and them being successful in, in the things that, that, that they're taking on. Right. Right. And so these kids nowadays, when they come into businesses, work ethic, they, it's challenging because they, most of them don't know how to work a 40 hour work week. And so it's, it's, that's the aspect of, and so you have to encourage them. You have to work through them. You have to, um, and one thing the military has taught me is that everybody has different experiences. We are very diverse in the way we were raised. You can have two white people sitting right next to each other, but they're not the same person because they have two different backgrounds. Um, you can have just, just so many, you know, you can live on the same street and, and be, and still be raised two different ways. Um, and so you got to understand where people are coming from, but, I think leadership allows you, you know, the one thing the military has taught me is like, you have to hold this. There's one standard. There's one standard for everybody and it can't be super high. Uh, it can't be super low because there, there's gotta be a, what I would call mission effectiveness. And so mission effectiveness is you're getting your mission accomplished and uh, are you doing a perfect job? Maybe not, but, are you at, are you, are you holding a bar where all your people can reach um, as long as they all put in the same amount of effort? Maybe some of them have to put in a little bit of extra effort because of something they're lacking, but you're holding that standard so that everybody pulls their own weight. Everybody pulls their, you know, everybody contributes equally. And then you raise that bar a little bit once everybody reaches it because you want to make them better. You want to you sit there and say, that's great. We're all, we're all getting, we've all executed to this. Now we're going to raise it up a little bit more. Why? Because I want you better. I don't want you relaxing and getting, you know, resting on your heels. Um, you know, resting on your heels means putting your feet up on the desk and your heels are sitting on top of the desk. Like that's the resting of the heels. Sorry, very military term. Um, but we want to make sure that we're better so that when the mission becomes harder, we're that much more prepared, Right kind of like a guy who goes to the gym and he can, he can weight lift, you know, bench press a hundred pounds. 
he doesn't just stop at 100 pounds and say, hey, I'm just going to keep doing 100 pounds. What does he do? He adds another 5 or 10 pounds on, right? He adds another 20 pounds on. And he keeps progressing in his weightlifting in order to make himself that much better. And so that, to me, is what leaders should be doing, is that we hold the bar, right? We hold everybody accountable. And those who fall below, we have those encouraging conversations to reach that bar. You know, and maybe it's a disciplinary issue. Maybe it's a, um, a performance improvement plan that needs to be put into place. Um, maybe it's extra training that needs to be encouraged. Um, but you show the rest of the people who are meeting that bar that you're encouraging the, the ones who are not meeting to be better. And if they don't, then that's when you have to sit there and say, maybe this isn't for you anymore, you know, because every, every all the other people are carrying your weight. And so maybe this, maybe the military is not for you anymore. Maybe this company is not for you. Maybe this career is not for you. Um, and, and, and talk them through like what can make them better, what, how they can become a better employee or a better IT guy or a better um, uh, airman or, or whatever in, in, in the long run. What are, you know? what are the qualities of, of a good leader? And does that change? If, if you apply to different areas like military and like the civilian workforce, for example, or do, do you think it stays the same? I think they're the same. I think they're um, hand in, they go very hand in hand because at the end of the day, a good leader understands the, the mission, right? And the mission could be military. The mission could be civilian, right? Um, if you, whatever the task is, that's your mission. And a leader, um, a, a leader listens to their people, what's going on. A leader contributes to the overall mission. A leader uh, encourages to get through. Um, so, for, so, for example, listening. If you're hearing that the team is maybe overworked and short-staffed, you gotta go fix that. How are we gonna fix that? I gotta go find more people to bring on here. Or, um, you know, it should only take 10 people to do this. And I have 10 people on the team. Why, uh, why are the team feeling overworked? Oh, it's because two of them are not pulling their weight. So listening to the team to, to, over, to, to compensate or to work through those issues, um, guiding and mentoring, we should all be working on somebody to replace us someday, right? Because the only way that we're going to move up in our careers is that somebody has to be filling our background. The last thing you want is to be walking out the door because you're going to go take another opportunity and to leave your team behind you falling apart because that's not a good leader. A good leader says, you know, Manny's going to be the guy because Manny has, Manny's been, um, Manny's been coming up the ranks. He understands where you're all coming from. He's going to take care of you because he knows who you are. And so we want to always train our replacements. Um, a good leader will listen more than they will talk. <laughs> um, and that's, you know, a leader doesn't have all the answers. The other, let's say it's a team of nine, a team of 10, the other 10 people, the other nine people, can figure it out. They can kind of give suggestions. They can give the answers. And so it doesn't always have to be the leader's way because that's not a leader. That's a dictator. If it's just going to be the, 
hey, this is this is what I want. This is what I want. What I want it done. It's understanding what the team can perform and say, all right, guys, we have a deadline of this of this Friday. How are we going to do it? And uh, letting them come up with the answers. Um, letting them come up and proactively say, hey, I've got a great idea. All right, go for it. You've got my full support. Let's, you know, if you think it's a great idea, let's try it out and see what happens. Um, yeah, it's just uh, listening, understanding, guiding, mentoring. That's what makes a great leader, you know. Uh, predicting, I'd say, is another another thing. Being predictive of um, things that might cause chaos in the in the work environment, um, so that you can proactively maybe work through those types of situations. And then um, I'm sure there's more. I'm sure there's more. It's not mad. I can't think of it. But, well, that's interesting because uh, leadership is so important and, and that can make or break your experience. And I'm sure either in the military or in the workforce or even in school, like to an extent, there's, you're going to see leaders everywhere. And um, I mean, I can think back, there's definitely um, been uh, jobs that, I, that I've had in the past where, I mean, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example, uh, you know, just going back to your example. Uh, one of my uh, bosses, he, he told me a story of uh, a job that he used to work where, you know, he went in and he had some scripting experience, right? So he saw some of the things that were repetitive and he was like, well, um, I can probably automate some of this stuff so then we can be free to do other things. And uh, he went with the idea to his leader and uh, the reply from like, from his, his leadership was, uh, was that this is the way that we do things. Don't mess with it. Just do what you're told. Right. And I mean, he ended up um, doing the scripting anyways, and he ended up low key just passing it to all his coworkers because there were other um, objectives that they wanted to achieve and, and get done. Anyway, long story short, you know, the guy ended up finding out and he had a conversation with, with, uh, with Dan, is this is the name of the person and basically telling, you know, chewing him out for, you know, making the team more efficient, basically. I mean, more, more efficient. I mean, he ended up leaving the job anyways, because he's like, well, I'm not going to be at a place where I'm just going to be a monkey, you know? So it's leadership is so important, man, for sure. Yeah. You definitely have to embrace, um, if you still live in the past, you're never going to move forward. Right. And so process improvement, um, making people's lives easier, making them feel valued. Um, you know, attrition is huge right now where, where people, especially in the IT field can move from one thing to another in the drop of a hat. Um, especially on the security side, you've got to entice people to want to stay with you. So whether it's, you know, sometimes the work is the work is work, right? but it's the people that make you want to stay. And that's the one reason why um, I stayed at, at our previous company for so long was because it was the people, man. It was, it was the people that we, our team that we worked next to, next to each other side by side. It's the reason why I stay in the military for so long is that I don't want to leave my people. And it's not because I, I love being a, a senior master sergeant or, you know, I love being in charge of a hundred plus people. It's because I genuinely love the people I'm working with and I care about their careers. I care about their mission. I care about um, their families, you know, and it's, it's just more that more than more than just besides them, because you got to care about their, their um, what they're mentally going through, what they're professionally going through. 
because if you take care of them on that side, you'll t they'll be better for you on the work side, on your mission side. So understanding where they're, and they're coming from, maybe they'll, um, I'll give you an example. One of my employees at my Raytheon job, his dad died in, so I, he became my employee in June. His dad died in July and his wife had a um, extremely challenging pregnancy, which just, uh, he just, they just had their baby three or four weeks ago now. Um, very nice and healthy and everybody's healthy, everybody's good. But in one year or within five months of each other, he had a death, a major death in his family of his father. And he had a, a very challenging birth of, of their third child. Um, and so I had to sit back and say, you know what? Work comes second. You you know, I've got you. I'll, and that's where a good leader will do, right? Not, not to pat myself on the back, but I covered his job while he was gone or while he was focused on taking care of that other stuff. And then I would call him on the weekends. It's in, 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 not, not work-related. I would call him and say, Manny, not, sorry, not Manny, uh, Kenny, it's not work-related. I'm just calling to see how you're doing. How's Kimmy doing? How's the baby doing? How's your children doing? How's your mom doing? And just have those conversations to say, hey, man, I'm here outside of the 9 to 5, Monday through Friday. Uh, I want to be there. And you're, he's all the way in Tucson. So a phone call, a, a Zoom call, um, really lets him know that, and, and, and I feel good about this, um, really, really lets them know that, hey, I'm there for you. You know, you need help. You, you need an ear. Uh, I'm just a guy on the other end of the phone, and, and you, can, you can talk to me about anything. I, I won't judge you. I won't criticize you. I know what you're going through, or maybe I don't know what you're going through in some, some cases because I still have my dad, but um, I can only imagine if I lost my dad what I, what I would be going through. And, um, you know, hopefully someday that if, if I do go through my dad, he'll, he'll remember and he'll call me up and he'll, he'll be that, that ear you know, for me as well, you know? So. That's um. That's a. I don't want to say. I don't think interesting is the word. I think uncommon is the word. Um, mm -hmm. In a good way, because I don't think that there are many bosses, quote unquote, or leaders that really take that extra step to look at an employee not only as an employee but like a human being, right? <laughs> that has things going on external to to the work. Um, mm -hmm. And man, I think that I hope that there are some bosses that, that listen to this conversation and, and the last bit there, because I'll tell you, man, I think that there's there's been some companies that I've left that if there was that extra touch of, I understand what you're going through, or I'm here to, I there's been a couple of leaders that, that I've had in, in, in companies where I've seen, I'm here to try to help you become the best you that you can be. And there's some that fake it and you know they're faking it. And there are those that genuinely care uh, for you as a human. And, and I, you, it's so, the effort that it takes to be able to do that, it's crazy because it's so little. It doesn't cost yep. you or the company anything. But man, that, I worked extra hard for those leaders because I know they got my back. You know what I mean? And, and, and it's and you're not. And you're not going to leave that person because they're a bad manager, because you're not going to leave the manager who calls you on the weekends, calls you at night and says, Hey man, how are your finals? How, you know, I heard, you know, you told me you had to take, you had to take the day off to take care of your finals. How'd you do today? Um, you know, 
anything, any, anything stressing you, stressing you out. Um, you know, I get a military guy, he's flying all the way to Africa to get married. Um, I think he leaves next week. And so I helped him do all the paperwork to get out there. I've been checking on him and I said, Hey man, send me pictures, send me, you know, I'm, I'm super excited for this guy. He's just getting married. And, and so it's, one of the great things about leadership is that it's not the mission at the end of the day that, that makes it makes us successful. It's the impact that we bring to the organization that we leave behind. Right. And so great leaders are those who encourage others to be better because when that person leaves, guess who's remaining? It's those people who that person encouraged to continue on in that person's absence, to be great, to be, because if they leave that organization, that person didn't help build up other people, that organization could crumble or struggle to get to that next level. And so you see that in the military where if you get a negative leader, the whole organization's negative. But if you have a positive leader, that whole organization is very positive right? And stronger for it. And, and they're not watching their wristwatches or watching their phones to say, Oh, it's four o'clock. I'm done for the day. They're, they're engaged. And the leader walks up at four o'clock and says, listen, I'm really sorry, but I need you guys to stay another hour or two. And I'm going to buy pizzas. If you all stay, if you can, you guys can stay. And they're like, you know what? You don't need to buy pizzas. We're here for you. Let's go for it. And let's just push through or, um, you know, if I had to call an IT guy on a, on a Saturday because something's down they're they'll, they'll take my call because it's either 50, 50, whether, Hey, Larry's asking for asking how my weekend's going or he's mm. asking me to come in to do something. <laughs> so, and I want to do right by him and I want to do right by, by our team. And, and so I'm going to take that call and I'm going to do what needs to be done. And, and that's what I, that's what I rely on. And to give that effort to your team, um, it's really no effort because at the end of the day, you're a family. And it's just like, if your brother called you up, man, you wouldn't, you wouldn't just blow him off and just, you know, throw the phone off to the side. You're going to take that call because it's family. And so my, my civilian job, my, my civilian leader, my civilian team, uh, my military team, my family, they're all my family, right? Each one of them's a, each one of them's a, a family pod, but I'm there for them all. And and because uh, I'm going to take care of them as a family, they're going to take care of me as a family, and um, our our lives, not just our work, our lives are going to be better for it all. You know. Yeah, I know, and, uh, and we you know, we've talked at length about leadership and how important it is. Is that something that do you think that you're just born with? Can you learn to be a good leader? Like, did you have to learn to be a good leader, or were you just born born a good leader? Um, I think, I think some aspects in your life make you a good leader, but you have to become a better leader and every training course, every life experience, um, may not always be, um, positive the way you want it to be, but it's a learning moment to make you better in your leadership as you move forward. And so, um, I've, you know, at Raytheon, I've hired 20 or 30 sysadmins in the past two and a half years, but I've had to, I've unfortunately had to fire five and, and, and help out with a couple more. 
And it's painful to do that, but it makes the team stronger and makes you stronger to sit there and say, what could I have done better for those five or six admins that could have maybe turned them around a little bit, or, or maybe they were just personally, um, mentally in the, in the wrong place at the wrong time for us. Um, but you know, if, you know, I, I still talk to one or two of them afterwards, but, um, and try to encourage them, you know, to, to do something different or better or, or whatnot. But, um, you've got to constantly be learning. Just because you took a, a leadership course doesn't mean it's done. And it's like, Oh, I've memorized the book. It's like, no, it's not about a book. It's about experience. It's, it's about, um, building that, um, that, that, that bowl of life experiences to share so that you can relate better to the people that you're working through. So, you know, there are people on this call that, um, you know, are probably not hearing a lot of things they could probably relate to, but there's probably something else in my bowl that I have experiences that I can probably pull out once the one-on-one -on -one conversation starts to happen and be like, oh man, I, I had experience just like that and, and, and be able to be able to, you know, share it. Right. right. Uh, been in trouble with the law. Yep. I've been in trouble with the law. We can have that conversation. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, you got a daughter who's going off to college. Yep. And we can have that conversation and we can, not that I'm preaching, um, but I'm just relating so that we can have a better conversation of, um, middle-aged man to whoever it is to have that uh, share those experiences. And that ends up turning into leadership or mentorship or guidance uh, to make somebody else stronger as well. Yeah, man, that's awesome. Um, Larry, unfortunately we've ran out of time here, man. I, I really appreciate you taking the time, your commitment, cause you're out of your car, you know, <laughs> joining um to talk to me so i definitely appreciate that and of course you're taking time from your family and i'm sure a bunch of other things that you could have been doing so definitely thank you um and i just want to give you uh the floor for any last words or thoughts that may come to mind as as we just you know close this off any parting words sure. you want to leave, leave people with yeah um you know I, we've talked about leadership we talked about family we talked about um just taking care of people if you treat everybody like they were your younger brother or your younger sister, um, despite whether, what their background is, where they come from, what their nationality is, what their heritage is, if you treat everybody as if they were the, your younger brother or younger sister, um, or, or even an older, older sibling or, or older uh, family member, if you take care of them, um, you'll do great things together. Okay? If you just, just imagine that that person is, is related to you in some way, shape or form, um, and you want the very, very best for them, whether it's military or civilian life, um, you take care of them, they will take care of you, and together you, you two will be stronger. The unity that you will build with your, your friends, your family, your coworkers um, cannot be broken. That's all. Awesome, man. Well, thanks so much. And I'm sure we'll, we'll do this again. All right, man. Anytime. I'm there for you, brother. All right, bud. Take care. You too.